This is Heard right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. We are back on Be Heard Talk. Let your voice be heard is no longer. We are Be Heard Talk, the show that talks about politics, social issues, and all the things you care about from a racial justice, hip-hop-centered lens. This is Stanley Fritz. I am here with Tammy, Selena, and of course, of course Tiff Bizzle. You can find me on Twitter at Stan Fritz. You can find me on Facebook at Stanley Goodhair Fritz because a college joke will not walk away from me at all. And of course, we, we know that's Facebook. a joke. We know that's a joke. Oh. There goes Selena hating on me as usual. For all of you who on Zoom, what's going on, y'all? For all of you who are watching on Facebook Live, what's going on? Happy Sunday. Happy Sunday, guys, and welcome to Be Heard Talk. Of course, we talk race, politics, and culture. I'm super happy to be here. My name is Selena Hill on Twitter and Instagram. You can find me at Miss Selena Hill, so definitely follow me there. Hit me up there. Super happy to be here. I was with Tiffany yesterday. Uh, Tiffany and I, we went to a local rally in Queens, and it turned into a hot little mess. But hey, Tiff, it's good to see you here on Zoom. Yes. Hey, comrade Selena. We <laughs> took the streets, but we tried to take the streets, but it went left, unfortunately. Yeah, a little bit. A little bit. Good to see you, though. Yes. We also have our favorite, our problematic fave. I will let her introduce herself, Tammy David. Hi. Hey, everyone. Happy Sunday fun day. Although today is not so fun, we have tons of bad news coming up. Um, today I'm problematic because I don't really care about pride if it does not center the black, trans, and queer folks that started the movement. Okay, let's make something clear. Pride will forever be nothing without the black gays that started the movement. And so, uh, you'll be hearing more about that in a second. In the meantime, you can find my loudmouth self at Miss David If You Nasty on Instagram, at Rude Black Commie on Twitter, because I'm feeling nice today. And you can find me on Facebook, but that's really only for my aunties in Trinidad and them, so don't add me on Facebook. Uh, today, we're going to start the news roundup with some pride-centric and black trans-centric stories. But first, let's let you know what the news roundup is all about if you're tuning in for the first time. The news roundup is where we share the week's stories that made you cuss, scream, cry, and in this movement, want to take to the streets, okay? We're going to share the stories about what's been going down and what you can do to amplify those voices out there. So first, since we started with, you know, the pride-centric topic, I want to start with two murders that have not been getting nearly the coverage that they should be, especially considering the movement, the pandemic, and the Pride Month that we're in. A lot of people, especially corporate and white liberal gays, do not know their pride history. And in the same month that Marsha P. Johnson threw bricks at police officers during the Stonewall riots that started Pride, two black trans women were murdered in a week. Rhea Milton in Liberty Township, Ohio, and Dominique Fells in Philadelphia, AKA Remy. Say her name. In Southwest Philly, Remy's body was found on Monday on the banks of a river. Oh. The police chief inspector, Scott Small, told the station that she had suffered stab wounds and trauma to the head and face. And get this, her body was found with both legs severed. 
Meanwhile, in Butler County, Ohio, Milton, uh, Miss Rhea Milton was lured to an area near a park to rob her and steal her car. Three persons did this. At some point, there was a fight and Milton ended up fatally shot. The idiot who shot her actually shot himself as well and injured himself, leading him to be hospitalized and treated with one of the people that robbed and killed her. And so they were actually apprehended by the police. There's an ongoing search for a third suspect. Wow. In Miss Milton's death, even in her death, she was misgendered. And her sister, Ariel Marianne, is now calling for gender justice among Black Trans Lives Matter. So before we get to some questions, I just want to point out that in the wake of Black Lives Matter, I think it's important to acknowledge the intersection of Black lives. Just like people like myself have to make way for dark-skinned folks that are attacked more frequently and more brutally than people like myself would ever be, all four of us sitting here as cisgendered folks need to acknowledge that the intersection of being a trans person makes life inherently more dangerous, especially when you are living in a black body. So today's first story goes to Miss Remy Fells of Philadelphia and Miss Rhea Milton in Ohio. Stanley, wow. have you heard this news? Yes, unfortunately I had heard the news. I hadn't heard all the details. I knew that they were both murdered and misgendered. Um, and it's really frustrating. And, you know, so first off, trans, Black trans lives matters, period. And Black trans women lifespans are significantly shortened and even shorter than just a regular Black person because of basic transphobia and violence against women. I want to just um, take a second to, to like really highlight the fact that we have a long way to go in seeing the humanity in all people. But the basic things that we can do is not misgender and dead name people. We just can't do that at all. So um, my love, support, and condolences go to their families. But condolences and Black Lives Matter and Black Trans Lives Matter isn't enough. We need real protections for trans women. Particularly in New York State, we need to ban the Walk on My Trans Bill, where cops can pretty much criminalize you for being a trans woman who's walking in the streets. And if you have a condom on you, now arrest you based on the assumption that you're a sex worker. And trans women, particularly in Harlem on a 125th Street area, but where Apollo is, trans women are harassed by police and regular folks in the community all the time, and it's not right. So I just want to say that. So, Lena, what do you think is the reason that these stories didn't headline as much as Rayshard Brooks, who we're going to talk about in a minute, but, you know, they did happen this week as well and earlier than his stories, and, and we didn't see that coverage. Absolutely, Tammy. I think that you make a great point to point out the fact that a trans, I've never seen a Black trans person's death be a headlining story in mainstream. Um, like, in, like Stanley already said, they are the most marginalized of our community. And even within the community, there's still discrimination, there's still some barriers and some, you know, things that we need to unlearn, um, which is why they aren't centered. Um, you know, Tiffany, who's going to speak in a few minutes, we were at a rally yesterday and she spoke to the organizer and said, how come I've been to a few of your organ your um, rallies? You never talk about black trans lives that are dying. You never I've never seen like I don't see enough women speaking up. I don't think Tiffany has ever saw a black trans woman speak up even at the rally. So I do think that it is something that is 
unfortunate. It is something that is, I think that there's, you know, people are uncomfortable. I think people don't understand. And I just think that we need some more education around it because, you know, I hear, you know, when it comes to the LGBTQ community, they always say I'm black first. Like they are on the front lines marching for whoever dies and they always put their blackness from what I've seen, you know, first, like that's their identity. But it's, I do think that people don't show up for them the way that they show up for us. I agree. Thank you, Selena, for noting that. Tiffany, tell us more. Thank you for being an ally like that. Yes. So I think the easy answer for people is one that they haven't seen a video of a black trans person or even a woman being shot down on camera. Right. So that's the easy answer. So we could give them that pass. Right. But I think it goes a little bit deeper when we don't see ourselves in that person. I feel like a lot of times black men struggle with having empathy or sympathy when it comes to someone that is outside themselves because they feel like they carry the weight and the burden when it comes to police brutality. Granted, they may have higher cases of interactions, whatever the case may be, but at the end of the day, when we talk about Black lives, we're not just talking about Black men, we're talking about all Black lives. And the reason why I spoke up, because one, it was really jarring to me that just marching from like 2014, 2015 with Eric Garner and Mike Brown and Trayvon Martin, and I went out there because I was like, this is just not right. It wasn't even like a gender. I was like, this is not right because these men should still be alive. Like they should still be able to walk the street and not have to be encountered with this sort of state sanctioned violence. But the reason why I really wanted to say something because I was just like, Rihanna Taylor is just kind of like an afterthought. Sandra Bland is just an afterthought, you know? And it's, it's troubling to me because I feel like a lot of black people, especially our most marginalized black people, they are the ones who's leading these marches. They're the ones who go out every time someone sh shuts down. They're organizing the marches. They're doing the posters. They're making sure they have the mutual aid funds going, j um, jail support happening. Those are the ones who are leading a lot of those sort of actions and services that we need when it comes to revolution and protest. So how dare we not even recognize these people? Like, I didn't know the particulars about um, the case, but I also kind of feel like, I don't need to speak for trans people. What I can do as an ally, I don't really consider myself as an ally, but someone who can just sympathize enough is that I'll share a post, I'll do something like that. But I feel like we need to allow people to get the space to speak for themselves. And I feel like a lot of times when these marches are led by like organizers who are not necessarily rooted in black liberation, because I feel like it takes some time to get there. So they're just running with the stories and the names that they know, but we need to push them. And when I said that to the person, he really rethought that. And I think he took it to, into some consideration to be more mindful of even talking about Black women and trans women. And also, I mean, in the larger conversations like, you know, transphobia and homophobia that also exists within our community too. A lot of these people are just not only not rooted in Black liberation, they're not even like rooted in prison abolition, which I don't make that a knock. I'm not a prison abolitionist yet, like I'm trying to get there, but our politics aren't all the way there and a lot of us are not doing the work to get there. The fact of the matter is people do not humanize trans people, particularly when those trans people tend to be black trans women, they do not humanize them and they make it all about sex. And we all know when it's about sex, it's not really about sex, it's all about power. And we really had to have an honest conversation about the way that we perceive sex, gender, power, and educate people on trans communities. But it's not the responsibility of trans people to educate us. We had to educate ourselves and show a better period. We can't be talking about systematic oppression and then be oppressing our own people. 
To end this story, I just want to say that advocates are saying that, you know, obviously transgender folks are at heightened risk for fatal violence, but especially trans women of color. Fels and Milton, Rhea and Remy, they're the 13th and 14th transgender or gender nonconforming murder victims in the U.S. this year. And to quote the human rights campaign president, Alfonso David, as our country faces a long overdue reckoning with the violence and indignities that black people have dealt with for centuries, we must affirm that black trans lives matter. If there's anything we should take from this movement, it's that if someone in our community, whoever has the least amount of rights, that's the rights that we all have as a group. And so we cannot be out there in the streets saying black lives matter if we are not protecting our trans sisters and uplifting our trans brothers. On that note, I just wanted to give y'all a few groups that you could support at this time. Um, allies, please share Rhea Milton and Remy Fell's names on social media today if you can in remembrance. And please look into donating to the Ali Forney Center, a trans and queer youth project that protects NYC homeless youth. Look into the Audrey Lord Project and look into the Callan Lord Community Health Center, especially on the backs of Trump rolling back Obama era trans protections in health. So for our next story, we'll be going to another fatal murder this week. One that did fortunately catch headlines and a lot more, including some flames. So Rayshard Brooks, a 27 year old black man was shot and killed by an Atlanta Police Department officer at a Wendy's on the evening of June 12, 2020. Brooks, it says, had resisted arrest and managed to wrestle a taser from one of the officers that he wrestled on the ground with. He managed to punch one of them. And shortly after, a cop, seemingly in fear for his life, shot him. In the back. Yep, in the back. Right after, rioters set the whole place on fire by lighting up fireworks and <clears throat> following the murder, advocates have successfully called for the firing of the officer who murdered him and Atlanta's police chief has resigned. Selena, we're always, you're always asking about progress. Do you think it's progress how fast this guy was fired? Because I will say I was kind of impressed with that. Um. Yeah, yeah, I, I definitely think so. So Mayor Keisha, she called for that officer to be fired immediately. Uh, this happened, Rashard um, Brooks was killed Friday, and she was, you know, press conference and calling for that, and the, you know, police chief resigned. So I do think that there is more accountability. I do think that our voices are being heard. Um, but why does it take for us to, you know, burn down a Wendy's? Um, I, I think that there's a lot of there's a lot of, I think, controversy around this murder in particular. Um, I know Ben Carson, particularly, he said, you know, the, the details in this case are a little murky. They, he said they aren't as cut and dry as George Floyd, who we watched die um, from being suffocated. However, like, I watched the video multiple times, and it does appear with the naked eye that Rashard Brooks had a stun gun, that he, I mean, the taser that he stole from the cops, and he did discharge it. And then the cops shot at him. However, I think that if we examine it in full scope, I don't think it needed to end like that. I think that uh, 
a, a taser is not a legal, an illegal weapon. It's not even something that's a lethal weapon. It is something that's used to, you know, apprehend people. So for him to discharge the taser and then the cop responded by killing him, I don't think that that's justification. And there are also videos circulating of white people resisting arrest, and they always manage to survive. Even white people who are armed and who admit to being you know, psychopaths with killing people, you know, for some reason they are, they're, they're either, you know, brought out in handcuffs, sometimes they have bulletproof vests, sometimes they're taken to Burger King to get something to eat because they're hungry. Like, it's just, I feel like society has so much empathy to white murderers, where, and when you have black people, they're automatically presumed as guilty, dangerous, and for some reason, they, people, I think society thinks that they need to be killed. Stanley, so Bianca just posted body cam footage of Rashad for all of our viewers. I've put it in the Facebook and it's in our Zoom. She also mentioned that it was a white woman that burned down the Wendy's. What, what do you make of that? Like, were we, are we justified in doing that? And also, why, why do you think it was a white person's, do you think it was her place to do that? Um, first, just to respond to the body cam footage, I don't watch any state-sanctioned violence on black people on video. Um, so for those of you who do, bless you and like take care of yourselves. Not gonna watch that video. Um, second of all, a white girl burned down a Wendy's, it's irrelevant, I don't really care. Um, whether a white woman did it or not, black, black bodies are gonna suffer for this. So I'm not really clear on, you know, like if it matters or not. I saw the video, the white woman setting it on fire. I retweeted the video last night. A bunch of other people did. Those cops are still going to be beating up black people. Yeah. Um, it's just a really messed up time. And, you know, so um, Tim Scott, the one black senator in, in the U.S. Senate and the one senator who actually has a black chief of staff said that the shooting of Rayshawn is proof that we need de-escalation. Funny thing is, the cop that shot Rayshawn had de-escalation training six weeks ago. And, you know, I did not watch the video, but I did read some of the details. It was a 30-minute encounter in which he was asleep in his car because he, I guess he had had too much to drink. And they interrogated him for 30 minutes. And, like, you know, it could have just ended with them giving him a ride home. It shows you the unnatural and unfair suspicion that we have of Black people. And it's really frustrating because that exchange could have happened to anybody, as usual. But when the darkest skin is, it seems like the more of a threat you're perceived to be by the police. Tiffany, do you think that Mr. Brooks was like charged up? Um, I know a lot of people are saying, well, you know, he did take the taser and he did, you know, try to attack the officers, which to me, I will just say he's justified. If someone's coming for me, I'm definitely going to fight back. But do you think that he was charged up by the movement and empowered by the movement to fight back? I don't know if he was charged up or just, you know, if you're sleeping in your car, clearly I think he was inebriated. So and I think it was 30 minutes of him being peaceful and calm and interacting with them peacefully. But I think on the cops and they kind of like escalated the situation. I've only seen bits and pieces of the video. I haven't seen like the final moments when they actually killed him. But I do think there's a lot of momentum that's happening in Atlanta, especially from like the first phase of uh, the riots and protests and looting to, to now and to them ultimately burning down the Wendy's, but I also kind of feel like we're seeing ourselves differently in how we interact with the police 
and that I feel like some people feel like they do have the, the right to defend themselves because the notion of, oh, just go peacefully and deal with it at the station, that may not go your way because we know plenty of people that are sitting in jail for 30 plus years for crimes that they didn't commit because they just went peacefully to the precinct. Mm -hmm. So I think we are at a transition with how we interact with the police and just because they say something doesn't necessarily mean that we have to do it. And he had de-escalation tactics six weeks ago. That clearly that doesn't matter. And like Selena and Stanley said, we have plenty of videos of white people wielding all sorts of weapons literally charging at police officers and they always manage to make it in safely. So I don't care if it's murky or if it's not a clean cut and dry um, video. I think the fact that we even have to think in that sort of way is mind boggling to me because at the end of the day, we don't need any more of these videos to know that the police and black communities is, you know, is something that needs to stop and it's something that is, is not, you know, can do it to our well-being, our basic living of life. And I, just to add, just really quickly, when it comes to, you know, Black people being peaceful, um, we've seen Philando Castile, who was extremely peaceful and who verbalized and said, you know, I am in a, a license, I have a license to carry a firearm. And he was shot and murdered right in front of his girlfriend and his girlfriend's four-year-old daughter. So it does not matter. These police, something is wrong with them. We've seen interactions from each extreme where black people are murdered and killed without a trial, without a jury, just killed. Agreed. I'm gonna, I wanna switch topics with y'all to another news story. I was gonna talk about um, Breonna Taylor directly after because it's some other police department BS, but you know, Stanley, you brought up that he had de-escalation training and this segues perfectly into a story that I've been dying to talk to y'all about. So amidst calls to defund the police here in New York, as well as all around the country, politics has taken a, an interestingly Caucasian turn. Um, the front runners of the 2020 race, both Biden and Bernie, came out saying they don't support in defunding the police. Now bear with me here, Stanley, because this first question is for you, but I'm getting to it. So the presumptive nominee first, Joe Biden, definitively declared, I do not support defunding the police in an op-ed on Wednesday. The night before, during an interview, he says there's absolutely systemic racism in law enforcement, but that he thinks the problems exist across the board, whatever that means, and is proposing money for community policing initiatives. Meanwhile, right after, in an interview with The New Yorker, Bernie Sanders was questioned about a letter that he sent to Chuck Schumer, which he also says he does not support defunding the police, instead arguing that cops should be paid more. Cops should be paid more. His argument is that we need more money for a well-educated and well-trained force with well-paid professionals. He says, and I quote, too often around this country right now, you have police officers who take the job at very low payment, don't have much education, don't have much training, and I want to change that. 
I've also called for the transformation of police departments into understanding that many police departments and cops deal with everyday issues like mental illness, addiction, inebriation, etc. that should be dealt with other mental health professionals or others, not just police officers. And frustratingly enough, he used that interview to kind of move and segue from the interviewer's question asking how he feels about what's happening right now, shifting the blame on us having a narcissistic president. So Stanley, can we talk about the fact that our leftist Bay, who by the way is definitely canceled now, if he, did, if he wasn't canceled by black people before, he's definitely canceled now. Can we talk about the fact that he is saying that we need more trainings for cops, despite the fact that they already have trainings and really high wages and a union that protects them? So let's unpack this in a couple of things. Um, one, Bernie's right, cops should be paid more. Cops should also have more education than a GED or 60 credits at some community college. Cops should also not be dealing with homeless people. Cops should also not be dealing with people with mental health issues. Cops should also not be doing any of the community, the quote-unquote community policing bullcrap we're talking about. Therefore, we need to defund the police. The problem is a couple of things. One, the institution itself is racist, so you have to destroy that institution. And until we can get there, you need to reprioritize how you're spending your money. When the NYPD can have a $6 billion budget and homeless services has a $1.3 billion budget, and then it's a cop's job to go and criminalize homelessness, there is a problem. But now imagine we take $3 billion away from the police and we give them a very specific job to do. And you can only be an officer if you have a master's degree and have taken extensive racial justice training and we reframe the entire role of the police. And then we take that additional, additional money and we pump it into education, we pump it into housing, we pump it into our communities. Then in that universe, it can make sense to pay cops more. Then, so Bernie's not 100% wrong. What he's doing is playing mental Olympics because what he doesn't want to do, even though he, cl he, he claims he does, is reinvest in communities. AOC said it the best when she said defunding the police has already happened in white neighborhoods. In those neighborhoods, the cops don't have tanks. They don't have all these tools. The money goes into the community. When people mess up, the community bends over backwards to make sure it's restorative. You're not going to jail. You're not getting a record. You're getting community service. You're getting mentorship. So it can happen. And what Bernie is doing is trying to A, cater to the police unions, B, protect whiteness, and C, ignore the full scope of the problem. So that's where I am on that. You're on mute, Tammy. Selena, can we talk about the fact that, you know, we've been riding for Bernie pretty hard during this campaign. And I know also we had this like kind of lofty discussion on defunding the police last week. Why is it not connecting that both Biden and Bernie are advocating for defunding the police, even as they say they're not? Because both of them are saying they want to put money into like training and community policing and all these different initiatives. And isn't that like literally what it is anyway? Yeah, no, I, I think 100%, like I agree with what you're saying. I don't, I think that the term defund the police is something that could be seen as very controversial right now. I think that that speaks to us as progressives, as those who are, you know, far left leaning. But I do think that for middle America, that that's like a, a sounding alarm and they don't fully understand it. So for any- 
Um, middle America is white people. Let's be honest. Yeah, but it's no, it's it's yeah, white people, of course. But I'm saying white people who live on the coast, who live in progressive bubbles like we do in New York City, understand it better. So it's not just so. I don't want to just say white people. It's I'm specifically talking about those who live in more moderate districts and who have more conservative leanings, even though they identify as Democrats. So basically, I do think that they, we need more education around that because. What Trump has successfully done and Republicans, they have changed the narrative so that defund the police means get rid of all policing and that there's no law and order and that criminals just run around um, with, with all willy nilly. So I think that because of that propaganda and how the success of it, when you say defund the police, that doesn't resonate with them. And being someone, if you're a career politician and you understand, even if, you, even if your ideology falls on, you know, to the left, if you're running for a national race, there are certain things in certain, you can only speak in a certain way. You can't be 100% that candid because you're not gonna win a national election, or at least that's what they feel, or at least that's what the statistics have shown them and history has shown them. So I think there's some nuance around that. I agree with what Stanley was saying. I think that the left needs to be very careful about when, who we cancel and why, because I think that it's, it's just, it goes a little deeper. It's not that Bernie is not progressive, or he does, you know, he, he's human, he's imperfect, he has had problematic, he has said, he has made problematic statements in the past, but I think that he's very willing to listen and to learn. He's, I mean, out of all those people running on a national, for a national election, it was Bernie who was sitting down with Cardi B. It was Bernie who was, like, to me, it was, it was just, I saw him as a very different, different candidate, and that's why I would not cancel him over these statements at all. Can I just jump in real quick? Sure. Um... Bernie, like Bernie, does not learn. If he did, he would he would have worked harder for black voters this time around. He didn't. And Bernie only cares about economic inequality and has consistently refused to have a real racial analysis, which has been my problem with him since 2015. And that is why Bernie gives an answer like that. The answer that I gave in response to Bernie was with the nuance of what the funding police actually looks like. Bernie is too intellectually lazy to even think that through because he's against the military industrial complex, but doesn't see a need to defund police departments where you, when you have departments like the NYPD that have military budgets, that have budgets larger than entire militaries in other countries. He can't make that connection. Do you know why? Because the NYPD and police departments are mostly militarily terrorizing black and brown communities. And that doesn't matter in Bernie's world. Only income inequality in Wall Street do. Well, let me say, he might not be intellectually lazy and Tiffany I'm I, I wanted to save the best for last on this because y'all just so you know for our listeners on podcasts and on Facebook Tiffany wrote in the chat loud and proud she never saw it for Bernie so I cannot wait for this analysis but I do want to say that Bernie is like a lot of white leftists in the sense that he's not intellectually lazy he's just unwilling to learn and in order to you know undo capitalism, you have to undo some of its largest effects, which include racial disparities in America. But Tiff, what you think? So I think it all kind of, I'll, let me backtrack a little bit. So yes, I never saw it for Bernie. I have not. I just I was never seeing Bernie for a variety of reasons. And I think this just kind of like, just really exemplifies why I could never get down with the Bernie bros and sisters or whatever the case may be. Because I feel like a lot of white people, especially of white people that live in progressive states like New York, especially New York City and the boroughs, 
they talk a good game. They have that woke rhetoric down pack. But how does it look in action? So, and I say that because we see here in um, New York where people talk about education and like segregation. Then you have a bunch of white parents saying like, uh-uh, I don't want my student, my child to go to this bad school over there. Mm -hmm. And Bernie, to some extent, believes that black communities need some sort of policing. That something in the black community needs to be policed and over police. So he's never going to say defund the police. So it's easier for him to talk about the military or have this whole economic, you know, analysis. But, but like Stanley said, it's really missing the racial component. And at the end of the day, I will always say police departments are inherently biased. And we cannot just talk about reform, 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 because we see that the NYPD has a $6 billion budget. We know that NYPD goes to other countries and train police departments. That is the most well-trained police department that we have in this entire world. So how much more money do we need to throw at them? And also, do we know how much police officers make? Because I believe Dan Daniel Pantaleo, before he was finally fired after six years of killing Eric Garner, made over, what, $100,000? So what do we want these officers to make? $200,000? Were we giving our our teachers out here with $40,000 and they have to buy school supplies. Like, I think it's bogus to say that we need to have police officers to make even more money. And truth of the matter is, after five years, I used to work for a law firm that uh, represented police when they were injured on the job. These cops make a lot of money already. They make a lot of money to over-police and brutalize black and brown bodies. And that is a problem. And I don't necessarily know if it's more education that they even need. I think we need more other services that get to the root of why our communities are hurting and our communities are, you know, not comparable to a lot of, you know, white communities or Asian communities or whatever the case may be. Here's real quick, Tammy, we've got a comment on Facebook Live from, um, let me see, make sure I get her name right. Um, oh, Chantel, thank you, sis. She said, after five years in New York City, police officers make 100,000 yep. 100, a year, plus overtime. Yep, yep. As well as, I mean, we can't forget all the perks and benefits that come with being part of a literal gang, which is the PBA union. Like these, they want for nothing. Like they literally want for nothing and they make a lot of money and they have great benefits. So I don't know where that training money is going, but they don't need any more, defund the police. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> Next story is wanting to update y'all with the Breonna Taylor situation. Um, basically, the Louisville Police Department put out a literally nonsensical report. Uh, it is four pages that are pretty much almost entirely blank, like quite literally a lot of white space on the paper. Um, and it is missing so many pivotal details with the few details that it does have being false. The report includes date, location, name, and some demographics, including that she was a 26-year-old black female. But under injuries, they listed nothing, choosing to opt out of reporting the eight shots that murdered her. And despite the no-knock ban bill being literally named after her, in the report, they checked no under forced entry. The no-knock bill was named after her. So what you mean, guys? And lastly, um, even weeks after the FBI has taken this case under investigation, that police department still shows no intention of giving her justice. The, the killer cops still walk free. And so advocates are now rightfully 
furious. Even the mayor, Greg Fisher, called the released report unacceptable. So why doesn't Tiffany, he fire the cops? Tiffany. Justice for Brianna or not? Nah? Because I'm confused. I'm, I'm really confused. How do you have a whole law named after this woman and her killers apparently didn't do it and are still on the force? I don't know if you guys had the opportunity to hear her mother. She was on a combination. I think it was like Angie Martinez and Angela Yee and they spoke to her. And the amount of disrespect that they showed her mother and the family, the fact that they wouldn't, they lied to the mother and said that, oh, she might be at the hospital. So she was at the hospital for two hours when she was still in the apartment. They snuck her out of the apartment while her mother was still trying to get, you know, gain access. It's just like a blatant disregard for our lives. And I don't know how anyone can sit there and say, why are people burning down things? Mm -hmm. Like you are luckily, I am, I, you are luckily, I'm just in the street with a sign. And I don't understand like that sort of pain, no one should ever, you know, have to experience. Like I met a few, like what's called like the, the mothers of the movement. Like yeah. the fact that you have to be bonded together by that sort of tragedy. And then you have political pundits, you know, politicizing a death and saying a right way or a wrong way for your humanity. I think it's so disgusting. And for them to even have this law, it's like, okay, but her killers are still free. And I think one I think one was um fired maybe, or the person who put the who signed the warrant was fired or possibly reassigned, but that's not justice. Like we that's not just and this is not the first time we had this sort of case. We heard it with Ayanna Stanley Jones, who was seven years old seven wasn't didn't even make it to double digits not even a pre-teenager probably can't even get her sentences the whole way together and die due to a no-knock warrant like someone has to be held accountable for this selena what can we do to demand the truth from the police department because i like the media journalists are straight up you know acknowledging the fact that there are lies in the report so what should we do you mean besides burn down their police um, station <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not advocating for violence. I mean, Tiffany said it best because that's exactly what I was thinking. And they wonder why police stations go up and fire. Like, people can only take so much. Look, I, I'm at a loss. You know, we, we've marched, we rallied peacefully or not. Uh, we've signed petitions. Uh, we've, we've raised public awareness. We've said her name. I mean, obviously, we have to keep doing more of the same in order to really get justice for Breonna Taylor, the justice that she deserves, the family and community deserves. I mean, there has been a lot of progress just in the past few weeks, but we just got to keep that energy going. Like, and I just want to say this, a lot of, I think for a lot of us, our timelines are slowly shifting back to normal. You know, the, the weather's nice. So we're getting back into like almost like normal lives, but we can't forget like George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, like this is not just a moment. What they really did is reignite a movement that was started long before we were even alive and has to continue in our lifestyle, in our lifetimes. And Stanley, you got any final thoughts on Ms. Taylor? Those cops need to be held accountable for what happened. But like, once again, as we talked about before, this talks about the larger culture of policing, which is a problem. You know, the, they, they make that law, but then the police will probably say something problematic, like in New York, where they say that cops aren't able to do their jobs now because they can't choke people to death and they can't keep their records um, a secret anymore if they do something bad. The culture of policing is completely screwed up and we need to change it or destroy it, which is my favorite thing to do. 
please. No more lying cops. That is something that needs to be done. By the way, I just want to let y'all know that Jumani Williams did put forth that bill, or I don't know if it was Jumani Williams, but there is a bill in city council now that revisits um, penalties for falsifying reports um, for the NYPD. And so that especially on the wake of what's happening in Louisville is going to be key. We cannot have them lying. So to wrap up the news story roundup, um, just so we can get to the meat and bones of this show, uh, I just wanted to let y'all know that Dave Chappelle released a really great special called 846, aptly named for the eight minutes and 46 seconds that the officer knelt on George Floyd's um, neck. Basically details a lot of what's happening around us and has some really great history. Critics are giving it great reviews. So follow us at Be Heard Talk and let us know what you think if you happen to watch it. That's it for me. And thank you for listening to the News Roundup. Thanks, Sammy. Thank you so much, Sammy, for that. Uh, we are going to shift gears and talk about Juneteenth. Um, so just for some history and some background, there were actually still hundreds of thousands of slaves working on plantations up to two years after Abraham Lincoln issued the 1863 Emancipation Proclamation, which declared all slaves as legally free. In fact, 250,000 people were still enslaved just in Texas, since it was harder to enforce the executive order in rebellious southern states where there were few Union troops. But on June 19, 1865, Union soldiers led by Gordon Granger traveled to Galveston, Texas to announce that the Civil War had ended and all enslaved people were free. Newly enslaved, newly, newly freed slaves rejoiced in the streets following the announcement. And in 1866, freedmen organized the first June 19 or Juneteenth celebrations. Today, Juneteenth is observed in 45 states as a holiday that celebrates freedom. So normally what happens, uh, Black Americans, they get together, we either have barbecues, rodeos, fishing, prayer services, and baseball games. It's also a day of reflection and an opportunity to trace back our family roots. So today on Be Heard Talk, we're going to discuss the gravity of Juneteenth, a day that honors Black freedom and resistance and centers Black people's contributions to the struggle for justice. We're also going to examine why Juneteenth has become so popular this year in particular and the call to make it an official federal holiday. Tiffany, I actually want to start but with you because, you know, it just seems like Juneteenth hits a little bit differently this year. What is making Juneteenth so different? I think what making what's making Juneteenth so different is the same reason why we're seeing people out in the streets and protesting in numbers that we haven't seen before. And I think people are really trying to grapple with this history's, with this country's um, issues when it comes to like racism and bigotry. And I think Juneteenth is just, now that it's falling during this time, it's just like perfect because I think it really exemplifies what Black people have been saying for a long time when it comes to slavery and the remnants of slavery and how it is permeates everything and every walk of our life. The fact that two and a half years after being free, you still have 250,000 people still working on a plantation, which I was doing some research of my own and they were saying that many of the slave owners, which who surprised knew that these people were supposed to be free, but because they weren't their harvest, 
and their crops to come in, they made sure that these slaves kept working. So I think Juneteenth is really allowing Black people to like walk, I don't want to say walk into their Blackness because you're Black, you're Black. <laughs> but I think it's really making people be more bold and calling out, you know, racism and systematic oppression and being okay with making sure that they're making white people feel uncomfortable. I know I had to bully my job into doing something for Juneteenth and I didn't care about it. And even though I'm taking the day off, <laughs> I was like, I still want y'all white people to do something in my absence. <laughs> right, that's right. <laughs> me personally, I will be here, I think. But um, yes, yeah, so I definitely think you're starting to see a lot of Black people who are probably like tepid or hesitant to really even talk about race because they work in overwhelmingly white spaces. And I think, you know, I think this is like the right time because you can no longer ignore what we've been saying for so long. And I think Juneteenth really, you know, signifies that. Absolutely. Um, Tammy, do you have any Juneteenth plans? And do you think um, that that differ from maybe years in prior and do you think it's a little different this year so i just want to say that juneteenth is on a friday so i don't have plans right now but i'm gonna make some because <laughs> <laughs> i mean you know i i've never celebrated juneteenth first of all i just want to say like i don't know if it's the same for you stanley because i know you're caribbean too but my parents celebrate or my family celebrates the Trinidadian Independence Day, you know, so they, they don't, they don't have that connection to like black America. They have a connection of blackness, but not black America. So I didn't even know about Juneteenth um, until well into college. And I was like, whoa, this is kind of lit, you know, um, first of all, it's lit that we have a celebratory holiday, but then it's also kind of crazy that we didn't even acknowledge how long it really took to free the slaves and that there were people being shackled for so long after um, who just didn't get that memo. So Juneteenth for me is a very interesting phenomenon. I will say that this year, although I've never had plans, in the wake of this sort of like national education that's going on about A, the fact that we're really not free um, due to the prison industrial complex still and black and brown murders all over the country, and as well as the movement on the heels, I'd be remiss to not do something. Um, and I do think that there is a rally happening. Um, the Afro-socialists are, are organizing something with a few other groups in the city. So I'll post it on Be Heard Talk. And if y'all want to join me, pull up. Let's get weird and militant. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. Uh, you know, 2020 in particular, uh, we've seen the, the killings of unarmed black, and, black men and women actually incite an uprising. And then we had the coronavirus pandemic, which unveiled mass inequality, uh, inequality in America. So I feel like Juneteenth definitely hits different. And for many of us, it feels like we're finally being heard. And and I also think it's also a, a time for a celebration because I think that, um, you know, Black joy, Black happiness in itself is a form of resistance. But one thing that Stanley had brought up offline uh, was, is this almost like a fad? Because like, yes, we have all of these factors that are building momentum around this, around Juneteenth. But is this something that's going to come and go? So, Stanley, I want to get your thoughts. Do you think Juneteenth will be a fad? I don't know if Juneteenth will be a fad, but I will say it is particularly popular now because the world has shifted its opinion on Black people and, like, there's more access to information about issues that Im impact Black people as well as, like, 
being unapologetically black, for lack of better words, is something that is a lot safer to do today than it was before. I wasn't celebrating Juneteenth four years ago. I didn't even know what it was four years ago, if I'm, if I'm being honest. And it's really the last two years where I've really tried to be more intentional about celebrating Juneteenth, acknowledging it, and understanding the history. I think a lot more people are where I am. And if they're not where I am, they're probably just getting onto the train right now. So it's really going to be important to make sure that we're talking about the history and the importance of it. Because, you know, eventually, it, if, if we do move forward and it becomes a national holiday, which it should, it's probably going to end up like a lot of other holidays where folks used to get together for barbecues and play spades and dominoes, which is fine. But, like, we can't forget why it has significance. And by the way, there were slaves in some parts of the South until 1965. Oh my God, 1965. 1965. That's literally over 100 years after the Emancipation Proclamation. There was a New York Times article about it a couple of years ago. I'll try and find it for you guys to share. Thank you for that, Stan. Thank you for that information. Yeah, I mean, you know, speaking of Juneteenth and and celebrating our history and and the struggle of our ancestors, President Trump actually wanted to do a little celebration too. Like he literally said he was planning a campaign rally in Tulsa, Oklahoma on June 19th. However, after massive outrage and backlash, he switched. He changed the day to June 20th. Um, Tiffany, why do you, why were people so upset about Trump co-opting Juneteenth in Tulsa to have a campaign rally? Um, you said, why are people so upset? Or that was the question? Were, yeah, why were they people so upset? Um, one, I feel like, and I hope this doesn't come across as giving him a pass. I, I don't give him that much credit to purposely schedule a rally on June 19th. But I, obviously, Tulsa, knowing that was formerly Black Wall Street, where I think that was the first U.S. bomb that was ever dropped on our citizens in the country. And it completely destroyed, you know, what many people are pushing for, talking about, you know, the Black new renaissance and buying Black and everyone should have a Black business. And we essentially had that in Tulsa, Oklahoma, in America, this government, you know, you know, made sure that that can no longer exist and completely obliterated it. So for him to do that, of course, is, you know, disrespectful and is upsetting. But it also speaks to a larger issue of how much we do not know our history and how, you know, the public school systems have really failed us. But um, it, it's really indicative of how, like, you know, a white person, could you could just, you know, you know, fumble through life and just not even recognize that, okay, maybe you didn't know about June 19th, but you trying to tell me you also didn't know about Tulsa and no one around you didn't know about Tulsa? Like, what a privilege. What a privilege to be, you know, white and be absent-minded and rich and run a country. Like, that is such a privilege and, and it, I feel like it really highlights you know when it comes to like whiteness in America and why I think it's so frustrating for black people when these sort of situations happen. Well just to add on to that I actually spent some time doing reporting in Tulsa mm-hmm. and I spoke to white and black people alike who told me that there was a conspiracy of silence around this massacre of a of, of black town a, an affluent black town and no one knew. Matter of fact the mayor of Tulsa who had some left-leaning ideologies he was he told me that even as a historian he didn't hear about the travesty of the 1921 mass uh the race riots up excuse me the race massacre up until he was 28 years old even though his grandfather had played an active role in helping the refugees 
So, and black people told me the same thing. And the reason why is because there is no formal education around the, the, the massacre. It's not in the, the curriculum. And they, again, they were intentional about um, destroying all the newspaper articles about around it and making sure that it stayed as a cover-up. And not only that, we talk about Tulsa a lot now, but there were numerous massacres of black communities between 1906, I believe, to about 1923. And it just so happens that Tulsa had the most uh, deaths and casualties. And that's why we talk about it today. So I don't, to me, this more so is a reflection on the failure of our educational system and the success of white supremacy of oppressing and suppressing our history, American history, and the fact that they are still grappling with America's original sin. It's slavery. It's racism. We need to talk about it. And honestly, that's the only way we're going to get past it. Tammy, I know you also have some comments on Tulsa and uh, in, um, in reference to Trump doing a campaign rally there. Yeah, so I 100% agree. And I acknowledge that I, too, learned about Tulsa very late in my life. Like, I want to say 2016 or so, because I took a lot of, like, Black Femme courses. But, Tiffany, I will politely disagree with you in saying that, you know, it wasn't intentional on Trump's part. I think that when you are a white supremacist, which Trump absolutely is, whether or not he will say those words out of his mouth, you do do things with a certain purpose. And it is hard for me to believe that the president of the United States and his entire cabinet and his entire media team and all the people setting that up all through the great state of Oklahoma, not one person mentioned, maybe this is a bad idea in the middle of a race war to have a Make America Great Again white supremacy rally in the middle of Tulsa, Oklahoma on Juneteenth. I 100% believe that he was told that. I saw a post floating around that at this time I definitely want to share. The sentiments of this is why I'm more radical because while liberals right now are on our side with the whole Black Lives Matter stuff it is really dangerous to say things like oh this was a misunderstanding because it erases the fact that Trump is actually a very capable fascist. This is someone who has built a fortune from nothing, is a known con man in his industry, and has swindled his way to the presidency. Do I think he's stupid? Yes. But do I think that he does things idiotically or without intention? No. And I think that it is dangerous to have that belief because then we kind of think, oh, well, it's just some bumbling idiot who like doesn't really mean that when actually he really does. So it's important to note that our president actually wanted to have a Make America Great Again rally on Juneteenth because that shows exactly where he lines up in the black struggle. And I just want to note that in that same wave of history, our history gets erased all the time, but it still exists. And there are people still saying the stories. And at that level, you must have access to the real history. Good point, Tammy, but I, I disagree. I don't think, I don't think Trump is, knows about Juneteenth. I don't think he knows the history of Tulsa. And if he does, he's, dis, he's dismissive towards it. I don't think he understands the graphic. Like, I, I would not put it past him of not knowing. But I want to get Stanley's views on this. Stephen Miller knew about Tulsa. Stephen Miller, a white supremacist who's writing Trump's speech on race, he absolutely knew, and he probably did it on purpose. And these are a whole bunch of white people who think their cousins and siblings are attractive. They're not really thinking critically. 
So they were going to do this, and what was going to happen was either they were going to get away with it or the outrage was going to force them to take a step back. But that's what white people do. They overstep boundaries, and then once you call them out, they gaslight and then pull back and say it's a learning moment. So maybe Trump didn't necessarily know the history of Tulsa, but he wouldn't have given a damn anyway. He might have liked it even more because he was really big on giving law and order. Mm-hmm. And Stephen Miller, Donald Trump's special advisor, who came from um, former Attorney General Jeff Sessions' office, is a white supremacist. A 28-year-old white supremacist with a receding hairline. So yeah, this is exactly what it is. Folks absolutely knew. Um, just I'm sorry, oh. one, one last, so, so I know I'm interrupting a lot, but this in particular is like a really cool thing for me because actually he turned, he canceled it, not just because of the feedback he was getting, but because there was a nationwide internet action where Gen Z on Twitter and TikTok started reserving seats for his rally from all over the country. And yeah. we're saying, oh, I'm going to be busy mopping my windows that day. It's a shame the seats are going to be empty. And that one tweet has been retweeted 100,000 times. So I believe he saw his rant- rally get canceled before his very eyes. And then he said, Oh, I didn't know, you know. Uh, good points there. I do want to just ask, so, you know, you, be, you asked a question earlier, Tammy, about, you know, progress. Um, so companies like Twitter, Square, organizations like the NFL, one of Stanley's favorite, and Nike have declared uh, Juneteenth as a paid holiday off for their employees. Stanley, is this progress? No. The NFL blocked a player from playing in a league for four years now because he kneeled. Thanks, Siri. Siri's the ops guy. Sorry about that. For for four years, and half, if not all of their owners, are Republicans who support Donald Trump. I don't care if you say Black Lives Matter if you vote with Make America Great Again. Nike, same thing, has donated millions of dollars to Trump. The reason they gave Kaepernick a contract is because there is black money in there. Black people will support Kaepernick whether he's throwing a football or not. Most of these organizations will say Black Lives Matter, but won't even treat the black women in their office with respect, will underpay the black people there, and when they ask for raises, they will gaslight them. Most of these companies, like Nike, are using child labor of black and brown kids in countries all over the world, like Apple, which is pretty much destroying parts of Africa to steal the minerals needed to make their phones smaller. Black lives do not matter. I don't care about their statements. Tiffany, what are your thoughts on organizations for the first time uh, recognizing Juneteenth and giving their employees a paid day off? I mean, they should only give the black people off. Um, white people should still be able to come to work. <laughs> you know, um, I have I feel like I'm mixed emotions when it comes to this sort of uh, this sort of topic because then it gets to the point. So, like, what do we want them to do? Like, I understand. I wholeheartedly understand what Stanley is saying. So it's just like, what, what do we want them to do? Because you're right, the NFL, the fact that they came out and said sorry about the whole kneeling in the flag and giving the people off, but like, okay, so the ultimate, you know, sign of remorse would be obviously giving Kaepernick a job back, right? So it's kind of, for me, I just feel like, you know, what do we want these companies to do? And what will, ta- what will it take for us to see that this is like real progress on there? And I think it could be definitely... What does your, your board look like? Is it overwhelmingly black and brown people, women? How, you know, what are the raised, like, like you know, the, the, the pay equity? Like, what is that situation like? And I think that's how you really see progress. Like, I'm not going to fault them for, you know, giving the people a day off. But then again, like I said, 
I feel like, you know, there's other ways that they could have um, also done this in addition to giving people days off, like how like people kind of like remix the MLK day, like they do some sort of like day of service or something like that. But I think for me, I'm kind of stumped in this, this area. I think it's great that, you know, they are acknowledging Juneteenth and actually I think 47 states, including New York, have recognized Juneteenth. Like I think New York's been since like 2004 under Pataki, which I thought was interesting. But um, I, I'm not quite sure where I land, but I think it would have been dope if they just only would have gave you know black people off. Just saying. Stanley, what are your, what are you? Oh, go ahead, Stanley. All right, an apology is nothing without a change in behavior. None of these places are changing their behavior. So I am all for restorative justice, but restorative justice is not about just an apology. Mm-hmm. What are you doing different? Show me. Yeah, no. Well, just just to respond to Stanley. A number of organizations, you know, have only the NFL apologized. That's the only organization that's done something. But the other companies that we're talking about have done a number of things to sort of uh, get to some type of reconciliation. Um, Besides Juneteenth and giving their employees the day off, a number of companies are donating millions of dollars to Black Lives Matter initiatives. Apple in particular, they donated $100 million uh, towards social justice, racial justice initiatives. Not only that, but they're recruiting more HBCU students. And they're also partnering with more Black-owned businesses. And um, they're doing another initiative that would basically amplify or empower Black people. So the thing is, like, I, I, I agree with what everything Stanley said, but I'm not going to poo-poo on the fact that this is a start. This is definitely a start. We are definitely moving in the right direction. Do we have a lot more ways to go? Of course. But yes, I'm happy that Jack Dorsey gave all of his um, all of his employees from Square and Twitter the day off because Twitter as a yeah they're working from home. But the thing is that statement in itself is leading the way and it's leading the charge. Like we're going to talk about making Juneteenth a national holiday. And in order to make it a national holiday, we need more companies to, to, to give us the recognition of Juneteenth and its gravity. Like, I, I don't, to, to, would you rather, would you rather, what, would you rather Jack Dorsey say, everyone go to work on Juneteenth? Selena, they work from home. They weren't going to work anyway. That's one. Jack Dorsey. I do, but I don't have the day off and my company's person. black owned. Jack Dorsey's the same person when Donald Trump put out a tweet threatening Ilham Omar's life, a black woman. Jack Dorsey did not black did not block Trump, did not send a warning, nothing, and justified it. Jack Jack Dorsey and Twitter are making trillions of dollars off of black social capital on Twitter. Giving people a day off when your staff is ninety eight percent white on Juneteenth is nothing. Show me more. I Show you me know more. Stanley, Kimmy, go ahead. I gotta say, I see where you're coming from, Stanley, but I will stand with Selena in this because first of all something is something, you know what I mean? Like it is a step. And I know, you know me, I am very radical. I do not care at all about corporate pandering. And honestly, I was gonna use my final thoughts time to say bump them companies. Those are literally slave masters giving us crumbs saying, get out of my face. Black Lives Matter movement is over now. But Selena is right. These conversations and these efforts pave the way for more to be done. Now I know it's taxing, especially as black people who are very vocal and who are active and are constantly on the circuit, but what our job is now is to keep our foots on their neck. We need to make sure that this is just the first step and that they keep their promises 
and they they further you know like tiffany i i also don't know how i feel like yeah okay it's cute and fun to have a day off and like okay you're acknowledging juneteenth but wouldn't that day be better served educating your company wouldn't that day be better served having a board meeting to hire more black and brown individuals or or wouldn't that day be served best to say all profits from that day which for companies like apple and twitter are millions per day like wouldn't that profit be better served in black and brown communities yes i do get it stanley and i do get your frustrations that a lot of these companies are giving empty apologies and kind of just want this to be over so they're mm -hmm. saying what we want to hear but Let's use and abuse them for that. If you're gonna say we get Juneteenth off, fine, we get Juneteenth off. And you gotta hire more black people and you gotta pay us more. Use it as a leveraging point. Because if we just say, no, we don't want any of it, then the white supremacists in power are gonna see, say, see, they don't know what they want. They're not unified. They're not accepting anything. They just want chaos. And that is not what we want from this movement at the end of the day. I'm just saying, giving people Juneteenth off is the equivalent of making a chief diversity officer. It looks nice, it accomplishes nothing. I have I would beg to differ and I do want to move past this but I've interviewed a number of chief diversity officers most recently the one at Facebook and I talked to her about the initiatives that she has put on the board and she has suggested and got passed within Facebook one of the leading billion dollar companies that empowers black and brown communities that are suffering from COVID that with actually work there huh with one percent black employment it's not one and with, it's, and with it's, Mark Zuckerberg coming out earlier this week saying that Facebook is going to be backing Donald Trump and the RNC and saying that Donald Trump can feel free to say whatever he wants on their platform. Sure. I don't know about bar backing Donald Trump and the, um, the RNC. Like that's, that's next level. But what I'm trying to say is that uh, what she's done and the initiatives that she's taken, she's actually protecting the black employees that are there at Facebook. She's done a lot of work doing that. And in addition to that, they're doing more hiring, they're doing more recruiting, and they're making sure that they invest in black communities and black children so that they have the, 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 when it comes to STEM, so that they are equipped to work in tech companies. So like things are being, things are happening. I think Stanley, like we agree that a lot more needs to happen. I agree that this is a small little baby step, but it's a step. And the thing is, I do want to, I do want to move on because, you know, should, should Stanley, should this, should Juneteenth become a national holiday? A national holiday is just a symbol. As Tammy pointed out, it doesn't mean that people are necessarily going to make this a, a, a day of community service. It doesn't mean that white people aren't going to be racist. Should it become a national holiday or should it not? So one, I put up a poll. So folks can fill it out as well. They think Juneteenth should be a national holiday. Yes, Juneteenth should be a national holiday. That is one of the powers the government has to acknowledge the freedom of black people. And it should be considered as important as Independence Day because that's what it is for black people. With that being said, if that was all the government was doing, that would not be enough. And we know our government is run by a whole bunch of white supremacists. So it's never going to be enough. Stanley, what's the difference between the government acknowledging this day as a day of, of celebration for black people? and white corporate CEOs. What's the Because if you're saying the government needs to acknowledge Juneteenth as a national holiday, why don't companies start acknowledging it as a holiday for their employees until the government gets there? Because I was saying it's not enough and it's the easiest thing you can do, especially- in a We are all saying it's Selena, not enough, but Selena, it's a step. Selena, 
I'm saying it's not enough. It's the easiest thing for them to do when people are working remotely. And also, the companies that are doing this have been the most egregious towards Black people. And besides making Juneteenth a national holiday when everybody is working from home and Twitter already said, don't come back to the office even after the world opens up again, and Apple is literally building their company on the backs of people in Africa by stripping their minerals, and all these other trash things these people are doing, that is the bottom barrel thing you could be doing. They barely even employ black people. The fact of the matter is the federal government needs to set the tone by making a national holiday because you should have done it because the federal government was the one that sanctioned slavery to begin with. So you need to acknowledge what you did and acknowledge when enough white people got their behinds whipped that you had to change that. And then you had to restructure this entire racist world because even making a national holiday is not enough. I'm not giving Twitter a pat in the back for saying, hey, folks, I know you were staying home, but now stay home and don't open your emails. Tammy, what are your thoughts about um, Juneteenth becoming a national holiday? Is that something that we need? Would that be progress? I think it would be progress because, you know, we know what all the holidays are about. Like, despite the fact that they're, you know, capitalized, you know, Christmas no longer has its true meaning, blah, blah, blah. We know where Christmas comes from. We know why MLK has a day. And for Juneteenth to be a national holiday, that means that they're going to teach about it. And kids will grow up knowing about what it represents. And that's huge. For all four of us here to sit on this call and say we didn't even know about Juneteenth till later in our lives, imagine our kids growing up with Juneteenth as a holiday. And we can explain when they're kids, sweetie, this is a very important day when folks were finally free here. That is huge. That is definitely progress. Tiffany, your thoughts on Juneteenth becoming a national holiday. Are you in favor? And do you think you will see that happen in your lifetime? I definitely think I'm going to see it happen in our lifetime. And honestly, I think it is going to be these big corporations that is going to force Congress to act. The fact that Nike and Twitter is coming out, regardless of how we may feel about these individual corporations, I think that is a huge statement for them to make, especially even the NFL, who has been egregious towards Black people in the Black Lives Matter movement, to come out and apologize and also offer that day off. And the same point that was Tammy was saying, that... I feel like this is the first holiday that will really recognize the sins against Black Americans and slavery as a whole, because the fact that even after the Emancipation Proclamation, you still had 250,000 people still enslaved. I feel like that is a huge teaching opportunity. I think there was this account that I came across on Twitter, not excuse me, on Instagram, talk about different ways that you can even celebrate Juneteenth beyond just, you know, a cookout, like reading doing an act of service, like really diving into Juneteenth and why it's so significant, especially it's so significant for people in Texas who have like large and huge celebrations and parades centered around this day. So I think this will be the first holiday, maybe outside of like MLK, where you really recognize the sins of America and hopefully it will could push us forward even more to, you know, the point we even talk about reparations. But again, I think only black people should have the day off, just saying. Thank you for that. You know, we are going to, we do have to wrap up this conversation, but, um, you know, Stanley, Juneteenth is not a national holiday and many of us do not have the day off. So what would you suggest that we do to honor our ancestors on, on, on Juneteenth? What can be done? So learn about the history of Juneteenth and learn about, I think what's really important to learn about is like when people got their freedom, they didn't get any money. They didn't get any land. They didn't get any education. And, People had to start from scratch with nothing and build community 
and build structures. And it really is fascinating and inspiring the way that that happened. So you should be looking into books and stories that tell you about that. Look into like the origins of Little Africa and towns like that that came up. Look into the history of Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and how that became a city. Mm-hmm. Study about those things and share it with people because that's our legacy. That's how we took nothing and built, helped build this country more than anybody ever could have imagined. And it's real quick, the, um, the poll, 80% of the people who took it said Juneteenth should absolutely be a holiday. But that's how you can do it. Just take time to learn, take time to honor, take time to reflect. Tammy, quickly, what, what can and should we be doing on Juneteenth? Um, well, I'm going to rewatch the documentary 13th because I think it's important to acknowledge that while we were freed, we weren't really freed and under that you know, portion of the constitution. Prison slavery is still legal, so I'm gonna watch that. Um, And I agree with, you know, Stanley saying we should read up on the history. I didn't grow up black American, so I'm gonna read about it because I don't really know as much as I should. Tiffany, you said you took the day off because your company does not have a policy where old people are off. Mm -hmm. What will you be doing on Juneteenth and how can you encourage all of us? Um, so one, I will be um, linking up with some of my friends. We will be participating in some Black Girl Joy because I also think that is important for the movement, especially at this time when many of us have been protest after protest and watching these awful videos. So I will be enjoying my Blackness. And also, apparently, having red foods is really pivotal to the Juneteenth celebration, supposed to represent our resiliency and also the blood that we shed to build this freaking country. So... Enjoy some bread Kool-Aid, y'all. And um, I also would encourage people to look at organizations. I know CEJ and um, AQE are doing uh, a Juneteenth virtual block party where they are linking defunding the police and educational justice. So even if you're still hesitant you know, about Juneteenth and you want to do some sort of actions, I would say really like look at the organizations that are linking Juneteenth to continue our progress towards racial justice and equality in this uh, country. Yeah. Absolutely. And I would just, um, you know, as we wrap up, I just want to let everybody know the Movement for Black Lives announced a Juneteenth weekend of action. It's called 619, and it includes several digital actions for those who will be staying home, as well as marches. And they're pushing three causes, defunding the police, investing in Black communities, and the resignation of Donald Trump. So, you know, I said that to say because Black Americans, we've been fighting for our humanity and justice for centuries. But to me, Juneteenth is a day to reflect on our victories, remember our ancestors, and recharge for the fight for equality. I think that, of course, Juneteenth needs to be a national holiday just to answer the question, but it also needs to be a day of respect. This is Black Independence Day. And I think that we need to remember that if it was not for Black labor, Black slaves, and Black workers, this country would not be a world power. It's we are the ones who built this country on our backs and it's time for us to get recognition. I mean, we have, we didn't even talk about reparations, but I mean, to me, this is a small step in that. I think that America will never, never be able to rewrite its wrongs unless it acknowledges white supremacy and racism, number one. And number two, it takes the steps to move, to move past that history. 
we as black people, all we're calling for is for equality and humanity and justice. Like, believe it or not, we too want to move past it. We want progress. We want, we want to be equal. We want to live in, in, on an equal playing field. Um, but that's just not the case. And that's why you see so many people in the streets. You see so many things burning down. It's because it's, ne it's by any means necessary. And it's now or never. And I feel like, you know, millennials and Gen Z, we're like, if this doesn't happen in our lifetimes, then I'm, look, I, I don't even want to know what the consequences are because we're literally fighting the battles of our ancestors and we're not going to stop. We're not going to quit. So I think that again, Juneteenth, let's take this day to, you know, like Tiffany said, it could be a day of joy and happiness because that in itself is resistance, but it should definitely be a day of reflection. Educate yourself. If you feel up to it, talk to other people in your community about the importance of Juneteenth. Obviously, you know, the burden does not fall on black people to educate white people. But if you are a white person who knows about Juneteenth, talk to your community. And for like people like me, I'm going to be talking to the elders in my family or those who are more conservative leaning. Like we need to talk about this. We need to remember it. And we need to understand that if we want progress, if we want change, we need to be that change. So on that note, I do want to thank everyone who tuned in and watched us via Zoom. Thank you so much for the questions, the comments, and the engagement. Thanks for, thank you to everyone who's watching via Facebook. And thank you for everyone who is listening via podcast. And please share this show. Uh, tag us at Be Heard Talk. Um, and also, if you can, uh, please support us, either our GoFundMe account or Patreon, patreon.com slash Be Heard Radio. When you support us, we will support the issues and the causes that you care about. Thank you, guys. Peace. Bye.